Welcome to our new series titled, uh, everybody say, A Merry Heart. A Merry Heart. This series is going to lead right up uh, to Christmas, and it has a real simple goal that we will all have a merry heart by Christmas time, all right? First of all, I need to say hi to the people up in Life Church Midcoast, Kim and Kevin, the whole team up there. It's just great to be with you. Uh, and by the way, we had uh, one of yours, Matt, playing the bass today, and he was truly merry. He was just up here glowing. So just good to be with you guys. All right, uh, Mary Hart, obviously this clip, you, hopefully you already recognize this. It's from the famous book, Charles Dickens' book, uh, A Christmas Carol, written in 1843. And it's the story of a bitter old man named Ebenezer Scrooge and his transformation from greed to a merry heart by the visits of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And I actually talked to these ghosts. We, made, we struck up a deal. And if you will attend every service, I think it's five weekends, and you will truly end up with a merry heart, they won't visit you on Christmas Eve. But if you don't, they're coming for you. You think I'm kidding? You, if you don't end with a merry heart. So with that, we're going to watch just another uh, short clip of the greed that this, obviously this movie represents, just that transformation from greed. We, we saw the little bumper of him uh, w- with a merry heart, but here's the... Greedy Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, this clip obviously does us the favor of highlighting greed, uh, but it may do us a slight disservice as it displays a character who's in stage four of greed. And we can all watch that and say, whew, man, I'm glad I don't have any greed in my life. I'm not that guy. I don't, we, don't rep, we don't identify with Scrooge. We identify with the nephew, right? That's who we are, right? We're the nephew, that's right. And, but here's the truth biblically, and I believe, hopefully you do, that the Bible's the word of God, God's speaking to us. According to the word of God, we all were born with that little green-eyed monster on the inside of us. According to the word of God, even the nephew has some of that greed on the inside of him. And I've got to get you to accept your diagnosis because you won't want what I'm, what I'm sharing these next five weeks. If you don't have the disease, you don't need the cure, right? So I want to, I'm just going to share a couple scriptures for you because the truth is the Bible's perfectly clear, perfectly clear. There we go, that this guy lives on the inside of us. Now, of course, we don't have the big monster. I mean, in us, he's only like an inch tall, right? Yeah, he's only an inch tall, um, hopefully, hopefully. But again, I'm going to just share a couple of scriptures with you. Again, just for the purpose of helping us uh, biblically, spiritually recognize that, yes, greed is on the inside of me. All right, this first scripture says in 1 Timothy 6, go to the next slide, 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Everybody say contentment. 
I don't know about you, but contentment quite often to me sounds like, well, that's, that's what lazy people are. They're just content with what they have and content where they are. We're going to discover throughout this message that contentment has nothing to do with laziness. It has to do with enjoying what is on your way to the better. It's this amazing ability to truly enjoy what is. And then verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6 says, those who want to get rich, who are these awful people? Who are these wicked people who want to get rich? Who are they? Well, that would be me, and that would be you. And the Bible has nothing. The Bible does not speak against riches in and of itself, but there is a pursuit. There is a pursuit that goes the wrong way that does exist in all of us, and we just have to keep it in check. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. All right, let's start here. How many accept the diagnosis of the word of God that greed lives in you? All right, I got about a third of you. Now, let me, let me warn you. There's actually 2,000 scriptures in the Bible dealing with how to deal with money. And until I get you all to accept your diagnosis, I have to go one by one through them. So here's the next one. And if I were you, then after this next one, I just raise my dad. I got it. I got it. Just so I can move on. All right. Here's your next one. All right. Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs. Now, this is God speaking to us, right? When you read the Bible, you read it like he's speaking to you, right? So he's talking to me. Put to death. You can't put to death something that's not alive, right? Something that's not in you. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs. Notice it belongs to your earthly nature. To admit and to recognize that greed lives in you does not mean that you're admitting to being Ebenezer Scrooge. It does not mean that you're admitting to be some awful, wicked, dark-hearted person. It means you're admitting to being of this earth. There's only two ways to escape this. Either A, you are from Mars, or B, the Virgin Mary is your mother. If if, If neither of those two are true then that little bug lives in you, all right? And how, what, what size he is is the, only, is the only thing that really differs. Put to, de- put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes on and he lists greed. It's just simply a part of our earthly nature. All right, this is God speaking to you. How many accept the doctor's, diag- the doctor's God? How many accept his diagnosis that greed lives in you? There's still at least a few of you. That, all right, I got to keep going. I got it. I- <laughs> All right, we're going to keep moving forward, but gang, we have to accept it. It is reality. It just is. And we're going to see, I wanted you to notice in that uh, clip that we saw that Ebenezer Scrooge was asked his nephew why he got married. And he spoke of marriage. And later on in the book, uh, the, the Ghost of Christmas Past just shows him some of his own past, you know, concerning marriage. And you think, well, what, is, you know, what does that have to do with greed? And if you really understand the nature of greed, it has much more to do than than just the fact that you want a big pile of money. Greed ultimately is the thing that keeps us from enjoying life and from enjoying what is, from enjoying the blessings that God has placed in our life. And it's really what keeps us from enjoying the people around us, the way God would have us. So hopefully as we go on, we're going to see exactly how this functions. And by the end of this series, we're going to be completely free of it. We're going to put this guy to death and enjoy a merry heart. So with that, we're going to look a little bit at the psychology of greed. This from a psychological perspective. Now, they probably don't even understand the fact that we were born with a, with a nature of sin. But just from their perspective, from experiences of lack, a child comes to perceive life, life as being unreliable. Now, here's the truth. 
this happened to everybody in this room. Now, we're not going to put you on the couch and go back and dig in your childhood because whether or not this took place, you know, at, at what age, all of us at one point or another have discovered, we've had an experience where we found out that this life can be unreliable. Have you ever had that experience? You had something happen. Now, maybe you can remember it, maybe you can't. Now, let me just be clear here what this psychologist is talking about when they talk about experiencing lack. Uh, the studies prove that it has almost nothing to do uh, with financial lack, that, that this has little to do with experiencing the fact that you were born in a poor family. It, ha- it has almost nothing to do with that. But parents can have an amazing effect because there are, the first several years of your life are incredibly formative And there is a difference in your heart. If you were raised and formed those formative years in a place where you were surrounded with love, okay, regardless of how much money your family had, you wouldn't have even known anything about money at that point. But if you were surrounded and just, you just had this sense of overwhelming security. And that only happens when there's genuine love and where greed isn't dominating the home. In that environment, a young heart just can grow, and maybe that's your case. Maybe you, maybe you had the perfect home or a close to perfect home, and you were surrounded with that, and it hasn't been the issue in your life, all right? But this is how it's formed. It starts with recognizing, whether again, whether that happened as a child or even as an adult, sooner or later you recognize that this life uh, is a little bit lacking, and you're, again, going to experience some difficulty, all right? So the psychology of greed, we experience lack. A child comes to perceive life as being unreliable, missing ingredients for happiness. And then they begin to believe that my well-being depends on me getting what has always been missing. Now, again, I just want to stop because this exists in all of us. To some really small degree or greater, we have the sense that something's missing. Something. Something's missing. And that's the part that becomes idolatry because then you begin pursuing something other than God, other than the only thing that does produce genuine security. You begin pursuing something with this this belief, this inner knowledge. And again, I'd say probably seven out of 10 people can't even identify what they think is missing. They're just, just something is missing and something on the inside of them is just being pushed to, to go get something, all right? Then the belief, and this, this is kind of going on and evolving, and maybe stage three is something you've never experienced, but this is certainly a farther along in, in grief's cycle, grief, greed's cycle. The belief that life is limited, and there isn't enough for everyone. I miss out because other people are taking my share, and they're getting what is rightfully mine. Life is limited. That's a false belief. How many know that we should be happy? When we see somebody else getting blessed, we know that, how many believe that we serve an awesome God, a big God, and with God, there's enough to go around? Do we believe that? So when you see somebody else getting their socks blessed off, you should be happy because you're in the same line. You're serving the same God, and it's good to see that there's good things being passed out at the front of the line, right? That's the way we should feel because there's plenty to go around. All right, but greed won't let you believe that. Greed is, it has a hard time celebrating when other people get blessed. All right, number four, over time, the growing child becomes cynical. Everybody say cynical. Now, whether or not you can identify this in yourself, as you age, to the, to the measure that greed exists, you start becoming cynical that life is ever 
going to be good for you, that it's ever going to fill that void, that, that you're ever going to be satisfied. And that is, that is greed. As it progresses, you become cynical. And, and life just, you just get, you can grow to the point where you just ultimately believe, I'm just never going to have, my heart's never going to be full. I'm never truly going to have joy. I'm never going to be satisfied because you become cynical, cynical about what life has to offer and the false belief that all I ever get are unsatisfactory substitutes. That, friends, I hope that you don't feel that way because the truth is, even if you, that, that, the bumper scene, the very beginning scene uh, that we watched even before I started speaking of, of Scrooge, you know, when his heart was full of joy, jumping on the end of that carriage and taking a ride and him with Tiny Tim, all of those things that he found amazing joy in were all there before, weren't they? When he was miserable, all those same things were there. It wasn't that his surroundings changed. It was that his heart changed, his perspective changed. Greed lost its grip on him, and his eyes were opened to the joy and the glory of what was, what was already in his face. All right, and the final stage of greed, number five, is the greedy person is never happy so long. It's not just that lack remains, but they're never happy as long as the possibility of lack remains, and that's the killer of it, because no matter what you have, no matter how big the pile is, no matter what it, whatever it is you're pursuing, no matter how many relationships, how many people are around you, how much security apparently, there's always the possibility, and that's where, what greed will do, that no matter what you have, your heart and your mind will tell you, but I don't know what's around the corner. I can't see, I can't see into the future. I don't know what's around the corner. I, I don't know if I'm secure because I don't know what's around the corner. But people of faith, we, us, we know what's around the corner, right? Do we know what's around the corner? Jesus is around the corner. God is around the corner. He's the one who jumps out from behind every bush, right? God is in our future, right? He is. He is. Our future is secure. That's why that scripture, same one that we looked at earlier, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And again, there were several other things listed, and I just mentioned the greed out of that scripture. And then he says greed, which is idolatry. A lot of bad things, you know, harmful things mentioned in the Bible. But at least in the New Testament, the only one that's mentioned as idolatry is greed. Why is that? Because greed is that thing that is endeavoring to find security in any physical thing other than God. Why is that idolatry? Because there's only one thing on planet Earth that isn't shaking. There's only one thing that isn't insecure. There's a reason that no matter how much stuff you pile up, it's, you're still insecure because that stuff is shaking with you. Jesus said it's built on sand, this whole, the whole earth. It's all shaking. So no matter how much you pile up, it's still shaking and you're shaking with it. The only thing that isn't shaking is God is the spirit of Christ, is the kingdom of God, which is here and is within you. And that's why it's greed, because it's, it's pursuing security in something that is, never can be secure. It's, it's pursuing security in something outside of the presence of the living God in your heart. God wants that place in our hearts. God wants to be our security. 
God wants to be our security blanket. God wants to be that, that voice inside of us that gives us the security that we know our future is, is secure. We know that life goes well for us. We know that we get taken care of. We know what's around the bend. We know what's in our future. We are, everybody say eternally secure. That was six of you. Say eternally secure. Have you received Christ yet? Have you said yes to Jesus? You're in. <laughs> really? You're in. You're in. You're in the family. You're in the kingdom. And when you recognize where you are and what God's done and that security, that, ah, oh, that gets you, puts you in a place in your heart where you recognize I'm stable regardless of what's going on around me, regardless of how big or small the pile is, how much I have, how much I don't have, I'm secure in here. And from that position, I have this faith and this belief that I can help. I can help. I am one who can help. All right, I'm gonna just share just a quick story with you um, of just a time in my life when uh, greed took a, took a dive, took a nosedive, took a hit in my life. And life has been different since this day. Now, I told this story about six months ago but half of you weren't here, so I need to retell it, all right? And uh, it was a time that Raquel and I were uh, going to marriage counseling, which we've done a few times. You know, we've gone through marriage, to marriage counseling sometimes when, we're, when we weren't struggling, but we've never hidden the fact that we've had our struggles in our married life. We've been together over 20 years now. And so this was just a few years ago. We were going to some marriage counseling, and um, there was just this day that, and it was God. How do you know something is God? How do you know that a, when something comes to you, it's God. Well, God works in what we call revelation. And when God speaks to you, see, when, uh, when thoughts are worldly things to you, they come in the form of a seed, and then it grows, all right? It, you build on it, and it grows. But God has this amazing ability to plant something in your life fully grown. If you woke up this morning and looked in your backyard, and there was a 50-foot-tall oak tree eight feet around, you'd be like... That, that doesn't happen. But see, that's God. A revelation comes fully grown. It's just, that's the way Jesus shows up. He doesn't show up in a little seed form. He just shows up. There he is. And you just know his reality. Well, I just had a revelation this day. I honestly can't remember what was being discussed. But as we talked and as, you know, the counselor asked some questions and Raquel shared and I shared a little bit, I just had this revelation. It just dropped at me. This huge oak tree just dropped in me that <gasps> she loves me. She, she's always loved me. She, yeah, yeah, exactly. She's always loved me, and, and she's gonna. She's she's stuck with me, she's, and and I love her, and I've always loved her, and we're gonna be together. I'm so happy to be stuck with you. I was. It was just a moment of just. Oh, oh. What have I been struggling with? I, you know, again, sometimes you just, it's like when you have a revelation, when you cross a line, you wonder, what? What was I thinking back there? What was I struggling with? Because sometimes it's hard to identify. Once you've crossed a line and revelation comes to you, it's hard to identify with, it's like, what? Who is that guy? But I was just so overwhelmed with the love that was in our hearts and lives. And, oh, it just felt awesome. It just felt, I mean, if you've, you've, you've all had love just bubble up, bubble over in your heart, right? We've all had that, right? Yes. You've had love bubbling. You're feeling it right now, right? Yes. All right. Well, we left that place, and I looked over as we got to the car after that session. 
Um, honestly, and I can't testify. I can't live inside Raquel's heart, so I don't know, you know, if anything changed in her heart that day. But I can testify for myself. Something snapped at me, and I'm like, oh. And we left that day. I looked over at her hand, and she had this wedding ring that I had purchased many years before, and it was pathetic. <laughs> I mean pathetic. I have been known to be frugal. <clears throat> Pam, that wasn't a very nice laugh there. That was kind of... <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been known to be frugal, and I bought that on one of my frugal days, and it never crossed my mind, you know? Just, it's a wedding ring, you know? It's, a, it's almost a diamond, you know? I mean, it's... <laughs> but I was so overwhelmed with just the reality of, of our love and what we had that I broke all of the rules. We drove immediately from there. We drove immediately to, I drove to the jewelry store. And I heard myself saying in front of the salesperson things I've trained my sons to never say in front of a salesperson. Like, oh, honey, you have got to get a ring today. We can't have that old thing anymore. I was, I mean, I was just a lay down for this salesperson. I I wasn't holding my cards well at all. This was impulse buying on steroids. (laughs) And I'm saying that, and the bottom line is, well, we got that ring. I I, I was determined. I was was determined. We were not going to walk out of Walmart that day without a ring. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. No, no. No, that we, we, we were not at Walmart. <laughs> Target, thank you, Mark. <laughs> but nonetheless, there's a moral to the story. There's a point to the story. And this, I am not exaggerating this in the smallest way. Everything that we had been going to marriage counseling for, it just changed on that day. And from that day, my heart has been different. And we're going to see at the end, there's actually only two enemies of greed. And I'm telling you, it was greed. Greed was, was a huge part of what was holding my heart and keeping me from experiencing the love that was. And one of those two things is, everybody say sacrificial giving. That monster of greed doesn't die easily. And there has to be a, not just a gift, but a sacrificial gift. It puts a stake in the heart of that thing. And since that day, it was a sacrifice. By the way, sacrificial implies for something to be sacrificed, it implied something died. And just my nature just died that day. And I just sacrificed. And, and we left. And from that day, our marriage has been different. Our home has been different. I am different. I've, it's the weirdest thing. But now I'm the one who's always, when I come home, I am the one who's pursuing Raquel to want to sit and talk. That, I don't want to say that never happened before, but always before it had kind of been reversed. You know, she was the one, you know, trying to find some quality time. I'm like her stalker now. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I want to be with her. I do. It's weird. I feel like I'm always chasing her now. I'm like, can you just sit down? She's always working. She never stops. She's always working, always cleaning something. I'm like, can we be a little bit messier and just sit down? Just sit down. I want to talk. 
I just want to talk. I just want to hear her. I want to hear about her day. I want to hear her heart. I want to, I want to be in her life. Why? Because something changed. I just want to be with her. Now I'm the guy in, in evening time. I'm the guy who says, oh, can't we just cuddle? <laughs> I just want to cuddle. But she wants me. <laughs> For the six of you I just offended, just, just get over it, get over it. I'm just teasing, all right, I'm just teasing. But I'm not teasing about this. There is, there is joy in this life. Now, here's the truth. Nothing really changed in our circumstances. There, there wasn't some new behavior that we learned, some new exercise the counselor gave us. There was just a revelation of love and a merry heart. And a merry, everybody say a merry heart. Merry. The goal of the series is a merry. a merry heart. We are raising money for the heart of Christmas, absolutely. As a church of Jesus Christ, we are continually receiving funds to advance his kingdom in this world, and that's never going to stop. But the goal is not 20,000 or 100,000 or a million. The goal is a merry heart. Because if we get that, if we put that thing to death and find a merry heart, the 20,000 is no problem. Nor the 100, nor the million, nor the two, nor the 10, nor, nor matter, no matter what God calls us to, that will never be a problem if we have a merry heart because a merry heart is never afraid to give. And from that day, I've just, I'm just giving, I, I mean it when I say I feel like I'm her stalker because I just, I just want to give. I just want to give my heart to her. I just want to be with her. I just love her. All right, with that, I'm just going to share just a few things. Symptoms, symptoms of greed that again, I think live in all of us in small ways. Number one, is the feeling that something's missing. And I just want to slow down on this to, to help you identify it. Because again, I think most often we're not tangibly sitting there thinking, you know, I'm missing another dollar. I'm, no, I, I don't think we're thinking that. But how, how would I know if I'm feeling this way? Well, if you're feeling this way, you are what we call driven. Now, usually when we use the word driven, we use it in a positive sense. And there is a positive you know, work ethic that God puts into us, absolutely. But there's a negative side of that. And the Bible, interestingly enough, uses that word negatively. The Bible speaks of this demon-possessed man who the spirits drove into the tombs. He was driven. Biblically speaking, it's evil spirits that drive you. And you need to ask yourself that question. Am I driven? Well, again, how, how would I know? I, you know? I work hard, and there's nothing wrong with that, but... What is driven? Driven is, is there's always a pursuit. There's always a pursuit, and it's not just that there's a pursuit. It's the inability to really enjoy what is. That's the biggest part. That's the big negative in it. And only you can answer that question. Are you truly, truly, truly enjoying what is on your way to the better, on your way as God. And, and again, we, all, we can only answer to God as to what he puts in our path and what he wants us to do. And we're busy. There's nothing wrong with being busy. But answer that question. Am I, am I driven 
Or am I just walking the road God's called me to walk? Again, if I'm driven, I really can't truly enjoy what is. I'm not enjoying my spouse. I'm not in, not, not in the way God wants me to. I'm not looking forward to that. All right, the feeling like something's missing. The second one is this, is this belief, this false belief. Greed has, greed has a, a lot of hiding spots, and here's its big one. Here's its big hiding spot. And man, we've all said this at one time. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna write the check, Pastor Brown. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna write, the, I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help my family. I'm gonna, if, I'm gonna do that as soon as, and then just fill in the blank. You know, as soon as this bill is paid, as soon as we're out of debt, as soon as the kids graduate, as soon as whatever, as soon as somebody's confirmed, as soon as what, what? bottom line, if you have anything filling in that blank, that's greed's hiding spot. He hides under that cover and you can just believe that, oh, I'm good. I'm a, I'm a giver, I'm a helper. I'm generous, but I, you know, we're, just, we're just waiting. We're just waiting until, don't allow that blank to exist. It's today. It's today. Everybody say today. today. It's today, all right? The last one is this, is when greed lives in us, we're just unaware. And if you're living with or working for or friends with a greedy person, they're not really ignoring. Ignoring your needs implies they see it and they're ignoring it. They just don't see it. And again, that's hard. If you're looking at yourself, and we're supposed to be looking in the mirror at ourselves today, it's how would I know if I'm unaware? You wouldn't. But the people around you do. You might ask. Um, They're just unaware, unaware unaware of needs and unaware of God's call to help. A greedy person has this certain sense that the world is okay. You know, I, I've got, I got things I got to get done, but the world is okay. So those are symptoms of greed. What are some symptoms of a merry heart? A merry heart, number one, is content. Everybody say content. I know in our modern uh, world, that seems like almost a dirty word, but it's not a dirty word biblically. God wants you content. Contentment, what is it? And I just want to put it in these terms. Contentment has, the, I want to say, the freakish ability because it's, it's, it's big. It's like the freakish ability to enjoy what is, to enjoy what is, to enjoy the people that are right in your face, the job that is, not the one you're going to get, the situation that is, the children's that are, the life that is, the freakish, I say freakish because I've been there where I've just taken that flip from greed to enjoying what is, and it, it's amazing. Contentment's reward is instant. It is wild how big a shift can go when, when greed takes a spike to the heart and you start living and start enjoying what, what God has given you and you truly enjoy that contentment. It's amazing how much joy can start, bang, right now as you start realizing God's put all this good stuff in my face. A merry heart is content. A merry heart, I've already said it, finds joy in what is. A merry heart finds joy in helping. You see. Your eyes are open. You see needs, and you want to help. We've mentioned the heart of Christmas. Uh, I think Tom already mentioned that we're including uh, Project Blessing and Safe Families in the heart of Christmas this year, which we haven't done before, because it really is our heart to help people, because quite honestly, there's a level of need uh, in our communities 
And this church is reaching out to help them. But sometimes there's a level of need that goes beyond what we even understand in our own lives. And people who are literally don't even have a blanket. And thank you for all those of you who brought blankets. Pam mentioned that last week. But we don't want to just, I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. If you, we want to help, all right, in every situation. But if we're just, feel, if you're just feeling like, well, I don't have the toy my child wants, you may not qualify for <laughs> Christmas, all right? Uh, we're talking about really helping um, some serious needs. So please, if you know somebody who fits that category, though, absolutely uh, put their name down. Now, contentment, I, and I say this at the bottom, while contentment might, because again, this, this is such a key, contentment really is the antithesis of greed. Contentment might keep you from attaining selfish goals. It won't, it won't keep you from attaining God's goals, but while it might keep you from attaining selfish goals, it will never hinder true joy and real achievement. It won't hinder that. Enjoying what is does not keep God from adding more, does it? You know, a greedy head will think that, oh, if I just slow down and enjoy what is, I'll never get that. No, it doesn't work that way. When you start enjoying what is, people see that. They're like, man, I want to be part of that. And they join. They want to join that. They want to help that. They want to, and that's us. All right, finally this. Just give you two things to tick it out. What are these two, I said there's two stakes in the heart of greed, all right? Only two things that, that really have an effect. Number one is you have to make Jesus the Lord. This at its root is a spiritual battle. And you can't defeat greed with determination. You can't defeat greed by, ah, that's right, Pastor Brian, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna whip it. No, it's a spiritual battle. And here's, here's my concern, friends. Uh, Jesus is Lord. We've all said, you know, I, I believe that you probably wouldn't be here if you didn't believe in Jesus. But this is more than believing he's out there and believing there's a God, believing in him. no. To make Jesus your Lord means he's calling the shots. Lord means master. How would I know if he's my Lord? Well, if he's your Lord, there's probably not a day that goes by that he's not directing affairs a little bit in ways that you wouldn't go. He, he directs affairs in your life. If he's your Lord, you want to read his word. You're staying up with Rick Warren's devotional because you're, you're wanting to hear the word of God. You want it in your life because he's your Lord and you know he only wants to direct you down good roads. And if he's your Lord, you're looking for that. And when he's your Lord, he's going to give you directions. And how many have discovered, how many have discovered this? If you walk with Jesus for more than a day, how many have had him ask you to do something you were uncomfortable doing? Yeah. Do it. Whatever he says, just do it. And if you'll just do that, but gang, that, how many knows that's a lot harder, that's a lot easier said than done? Whatever he says, do it. Because throughout your life, He's going to, he, there's be at least once or twice where he asks for all of it. Forget a tenth, he asks for all of it. The real Jesus will ask you for all of it. Just follow him. Say yes. Whatever he asks, say yes. He's leading you to a better place. He's leading you to real security. Number one is just make Jesus your Lord. It was Jesus who said you cannot serve God and money. And the final one is this, sacrificial giving. We've already said it. And I intentionally told that story of, of Raquel and I because when we think of sacrificial giving, we think, okay, Brian's asking for more in the bucket. Um, I'm not ashamed to say it. Yes, I am. But greed, is, greed and, and sacrificial giving, rather, is much larger than that. See, here's the truth in my life. During those 20 years that I had probably not, not let me take the probably out, that I hadn't really been generous with my wife, 
I, I'd given, I had, I've always given, you know, way over 10% to God, to the church. I had no issue, no trouble whatsoever being amazingly generous with the kingdom of God, with the church, because I saw that. That was obvious to me. Those needs were real to me and, and, what, and what God was accomplishing through his church. That was obvious to me, so that was no problem. But for me, it affected my wife. It affected my own family. That's where greed, I, and I, if you ask me, you say, oh, I'm, I'm generous. If you would have saw my giving record, you say, oh, Pastor Brian, he, he doesn't struggle with greed. And he was sitting on my head, but he just affected my home. Now, probably I'm a little, a little abnormal there. I think more, for more people, you're more attentive and attuned to what's in your home or what's right around you. I don't know, but I'm asking you to pay attention and throughout this series, where is it in your life? How does it affect you? Because we want, you can't, you're not going to receive the medicine if you don't have the disease. And we want to take it out. And again, sacrificial giving. It's a sacrifice. This isn't every day. It's not every day God's asking for some amazing sacrifice. But when he does, you have to do it. And again, that, from that day in my marriage, where I'm convinced that if we'd have just left the counselor's office with this revelation that Raquel loved me and I hadn't, we hadn't gone and bought that ring... It wouldn't have had the same effect. It doesn't. There needed to be a sacrifice to commemorate the revelation. And sacrifice, it has, it has an effect. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute? Friends, God wants you to have a merry heart. A heart that is so enjoying what is, that you are just bubbling with joy over what you have over what God has given you. Now, nobody's looking around, and earlier in the service, I kind of jokingly had everybody raise your hand, confessing, you've got the disease, and I'm not going to move on until you do. Well, now we're over that, and now this is just serious, and I'm just wondering if you're here, and you're recognizing, you know what? I think this may be an issue in my life. I think it may be an issue. I don't think I'm really enjoying what is the way God wants me to. I don't think my heart is as merry as God wants it or as it can be. And I want to open my heart during these weeks. I want to put greed to death. And I want to enjoy the amazing grace of God. Nobody's looking around, but if that's you, would you just lift your hand right there where you're seated? Praise God. Thank you, God, for every one of these hands. This is really for the people who have their hands raised, but just so they won't be embarrassed, can we all just pray this out loud? Say, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord, and I say yes to you. Whatever you ask, I say yes. Lord, fill my heart with your spirit. Lord, open my eyes to your goodness. Open my eyes to the good things and the good people and the great opportunities that are right in my face. Help me to enjoy what is. Help me to find contentment. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that we will be those people, we will be that church just full of open-hearted, big-hearted, sacrificial givers who just keep saying yes to you every day of our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.